So uh, I saw you did a space last night with Thor Starter. Uh, how'd that go? And can you you want to talk a little bit about VTOR? Because I, I don't understand that. Uh, yeah, sure. Like what what VTOR is exactly? Yet? Sure. Yeah. Um, just to clarify, you, you said Thor Starter, but I know you mean Thor Swap. Oh, uh, okay. Right. For anyone listening, um, <clears throat> yeah. So VTOR is uh, coming out really soon. Basically, it's the new staking contract for Thor, the token of Thor Swap. So. Um, Basically, the cool thing with VThor, like the one thing that people will want to know is that um, VThor begins accruing uh, from the fees that ThorSwap takes. So basically, by staking Thor for VThor, you are participating in the fee sharing uh, from the ThorSwap platform. So for the past year, uh, and even I guess back on BepSwap too, uh, ThorSwap wasn't charging any fee outside of just the actual ThorChain fees. Um, in the last few days or so, uh, that fee was turned on. So um, basically, it basically, it's like a ThorChain affiliate fee. And it'll be used for the ThorSwap aggregator as well for all the different routes and DEXs that are integrated. So this fee stacks up and then it'll be added into the contract. So you, so it's basically distributed to all the VThor uh, holders. So you stake Thor for VThor, and then it's just auto compounding. It's like composable ERC four six two six. So uh, your balance of VThor doesn't actually change; just the ratio of redeemable Thor changes. So you stake your Thor to VThor, and then over time, that VThor is redeemable for more Thor. So allows for a lot of future potential composability and stuff like that too. But the gist of it really is that the uh, the fees accrue back to the the stakes, the the stakers. So pretty exciting. Just a way to kind of participate in the in the adoption of Thor Swap specifically. So VThor, if you have VThor, it's not a tradable token, right? It's just it just says that you have staked Thor token, which is the the ERC twenty token of Thor Swap. So it it actually can be. Um, I don't think it will be immediately, just because there aren't any pools for that specifically. But it's it's a it's its own token that can be used in any ways. Like in theory, you could have uh, there could be like pools on Sushi Swap, or I think in theory there could even be like a Rune Vthor pool. I thought that idea was cool. I haven't seen people really talking about that yet, but I believe that's at least theoretically possible. Um, so you could just like trade straight to Vthor in the future, um, since Vthor will really be the asset to have. Like that that's really like the the, that'll kind of become like the apex asset in a way, um, but you'll still kind of think in terms of redeemable Thor. Uh, but yeah, it's possible. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Um, I so I haven't done that much research into the system, but uh, it's cool that it gets rid of all the uh, affiliate fees that, that you'd normally be charged, like doing a uh, swap on Thor swap. Oh yeah, yeah. That's another huge thing. So basically, if you uh, yeah, if you're if you hold any V Thor, uh, which basically means you've staked Thor, then yeah, you bypass the fee for your own swaps. So basically, you just have to have your Ethereum wallet connected, and it'll detect that you'll have V Thor, and then you get the fee waived yourself. Uh, that's for like kind of you know some undefined period of time so far, but over time that'll evolve into a tiered system. Uh, but starting out, it's just if you have V Thor, you waive your own fee entirely. But yeah. So that that that's definitely a, a cool perk of it, and the uh, another thing about it is like with it 
you, there's it, now it's just like auto compounding. So very gas efficient because you just hold this VTHOR and the, again, the ratio just changes of VTHOR to THOR. So no need to worry about, I mean, you'll have to worry about ETH gas once to, to migrate over there. But then after that, you just have your VTHOR and you're good to go. It's auto compounding, no claiming, restaking, uh, all of that. Awesome. Um, one, one other thing that we can talk about right now is this, uh, door chain expo that we're going to be holding in, uh, in Austin on June 9th to 12th. That's when consensus will, will be in Austin. And we have a, uh, a venue in Austin, which is super nice where we're going to be having some, some panels. There's going to be some, uh, community, uh, get togethers, meetups, uh, but we're for sure going to get, get, get chat up on a stage up there. Hopefully I, I'm trying to get a, uh, a, a Gavin and, uh, Chad, uh, expo panel up there. Cause I think that that would be the, the most interesting thing to listen to, but, uh, this, this is going to be really cool because uh, we, we have our, our own venue and we're going to be able to have our own events and have a real, uh, community event out in Austin for this consensus expo. So that's going to be, the, the venue looks, uh, pretty, pretty crazy. It's like one of the best venues downtown. So it, it's crazy. Saigon is putting this together right now. So I've been like coordinating with him trying to, uh, you know, come up with the plan for this, this whole expo thing, you know, he's, he's putting this together and he's doing a great job doing it. And, uh, yeah, I hope to see some people out in, in Austin in, uh, beginning of June. Looks like we're going to have a Thorchain Expo either on Wednesday, June 8th or Thursday, uh, June 9th. That sounds awesome. So just to clarify, is that like part of the consensus event or is it completely separate? Like you, like, do you have to have like a ticket to that or whatever, or is it outside of that? No, it's going to be our own thing. Okay. That's awesome. Sponsored by community projects, but you know, sponsored by nine realms and Thor guards. And then, uh, I think some, some other, uh, community projects are, are, are putting in just to help throw this thing. That's super cool. I need, I need to try to get there. That's awesome. Yeah. We need to get you on a, on a panel or something. Yeah, we, we could do our show live like <laughs> in this, uh, in this venue. It's, we'll it's a really nice venue. It's called the native hostel. Uh, and Man, it just looks so cool. There's like there's a ballroom. There's a the cool bar area. It's it's going to be really nice. And anyone that that makes it out, there's going to be lots of public events for uh, for people. I'll need to figure out a life a full size ape costume to wear. I guess <laughs> it's not like Comic Con. You don't you don't get dressed up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I got I got to match my profile picture. But yeah, no, that sounds awesome. That should be great. Like. Um, should definitely try to like record all that stuff too. I'm sure you guys are, I'm sure Saigon's thinking about that, but that should be some awesome content. Yeah, I'll try and do that. Uh, the, the Thorchain documentary won't come out until probably 2030 or so, but it, it's looking okay from this standpoint right now. <laughs> um, so that weekend there's consensus in Austin and then DecentralCon. And uh, there's also Terra Dapp Expo, but it doesn't look like we'll have a speaking opportunity at uh, Terra Dapp Expo, um, I think that is already out of the question. But uh, you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll definitely have presence at DecentralCon consensus. I know LPU uh, a- Asian who's here. He he'll be at uh, with LPU at Terra Dapp Expo. I think awesome. 
Yeah, sounds really cool. Should we, uh, does anyone want to come up and ask any questions or just chat about anything Thorchain related? We're just, uh, for anyone just hopping in, we're waiting. Uh, Chad B, Chad Barreford is going to be a bit late, maybe another 20, 30 minutes or so, and then we'll get into the weekly developer updates. So we're just kind of hanging out until then. Uh, so floor is open if anyone wants to jump up. Yeah, and then later we can talk about stuff like derived assets, IBC, mainnet, uh, you know, the, the, the topics that everyone wants to discuss. We can hear from the man himself. Ryan here. Just, uh, yeah, I wanted to hop up and say hi. Um, yeah, if anybody has any questions around uh, derived assets or other things like that, let me know. Happy to, happy to try to field questions. I have one question for you, Orion. Um, what went down last night with the with the brief uh, ETH halt solvency checker? I, w- I was watching those updates, and you were on it like immediately, which was great. Uh, so I appreciate you for uh, solving that super quickly. But yeah, what, what what was going on with that? Yeah. So so the TLDR there is that the we have this auto um, halt if there if Thorchain detects a insolvency. Um, there was kind of a um, uh, a condition where the uh, kind of solvency or, or like the, the state of the solvency wasn't uh, consistent across a few things. And so, um, you know, we went in immediately, checked all the vaults, everything was fine. Um, but the, the uh, kind of sensitivity of the solvency checker is just a little high. So um, Heimdall raised this ER in order to fix an issue that we found. Uh, so that we can hopefully have fewer of those. Um, but yeah, this is just kind of kind of the current uh, state of play right now where, you know, things that we're kind of tuning the sensitivity of various things so that we, um, uh, you know, can make sure that things always stay safe uh, and then kind of relaxing that as, uh, as we learn more and then, you know, surfacing new things that we want to adjust or fix. Um, so yeah, it was a false alarm entirely. And I think it fired again, um, a few hours later with the same same situation. Um, so there's, yeah, fix, fix has already been implemented. We have the root cause and we're just uh, waiting to get that out in a subsequent, subsequent PR. Awesome, yeah, it's cool to see the security features um, in action. Like basically it's, my the simplified understanding of that is it's basically it checking to see if it is the amount in the vaults what it thinks is correct and then if it's not then it just basically triggers that immediate halt to kind of kind of scope it out right but um what's like what's like an example of something that would cause a false alarm though like if like uh or maybe just in this case even even specifically like if the vaults are correct then what sort of what sort of what does cause that to trigger yeah um so i have kind of a you know, not a full uh, understanding of this, but my inclination or like my impression in terms of like what happened is that there was a, um, that, that, you know, nodes are just lagging each other a little bit. And so then, then, um, you know, the, there will be um, that solvency check uh, should probably happen uh, at consensus rather than uh, kind of just uh, running the way that it, that it has been. So anyway, there, there's just like a little little condition where there can be a discrepancy and that's what's uh, you know causing it to trigger but um, yeah at this point we we you know are starting to have all of these different alerts we want the network to kind of respond to protect itself automatically um, but then we're starting to kind of learn and tune uh, those over time um, I'd also just say like we're going in like we're in this phase right now where 
you know, we want to have more um, logic for the chain to protect itself um, and biased towards, you know, uh, um, kind of closing, closing, going into kind of lockdown mode if there's anything uh, that is, you know, out of the ordinary. Um, and we realize that that, you know, has an effect on user experience, but at the same time, you know, we want to, uh, you know, we want to be hypersensitive. Uh, and so we're just like, we've, we've turned on a lot of hypersensitive uh, things. And then we're just saying like, okay, now, like, how do we relax these? How do we improve them uh, to help improve the, the user experience? But um, yeah, having, having kind of this, uh, you know, super defensive posture um, and like, you know, everything is super sensitive right now in terms of alerting. Um, and so there's a lot of, we're, we're just going to see a lot of uh, false alarms for a little while until we, we get a clear picture on pieces. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Better to better to lean on the cautious side for now, rather see false alarms than uh, the other way around and miss something. So that's, that's great to hear. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, you know, this is, this is a, another kind of phase or, or phase of growth for Thorchain in a lot of respects, you know, where, you know, we, we really want to encourage, you know, node operators and the broader community to, you know, raise, raise, you know, weird behavior, um, you know, halt chain. If you, if you're a node operator and you think something's funky, you know, halt the chain. It, it, that's, that's way more important than, you know, kind of crying wolf. Um, and so, yeah, just getting, getting the community kind of in tune with the fact that, you know, Thorchain is going to take a very defensive stance, um, you know, on all of these things. And, and, uh, you know, we want to work, kind of flex that muscle and like get the community used to the fact that, you know, Thorchain is going to protect itself and, and, uh, you know, all, everybody's funds. And like, that's the priority, um, at this point. That's great. And, uh, you know, for everyone that's that's listening, I mean, that's what the development team has been focusing on for, uh, you know, the, the past the past few uh, weeks, like since all the major feature releases is really just, you know, making sure everything's buttoned up, you know, squashing any any bugs that uh, come into place because uh, stability, stability and security are the biggest priorities for, uh, you know, for the nine realms team and for uh, for the core team who's in charge of, you know, making sure this, this project gets to where it needs to go. So, uh, you know, it, week by week progress, progress gets made. And then, you know, that builds upon the great base that we already have. Uh, and you know, every, every week things just look better and better. There's always a new, new update every single week. So things are yeah. looking great. I, um, I would just add, uh, yeah, one thing that I'm really excited for is that in two weeks we have a, a kind of, uh, Thorchain security tooling sprint plan, uh, where we're going to just run through, um, kind of a big list of uh, features that we want to implement. Um, you know, a lot of it has been, has been implemented, but we want to just kind of consolidate everything, have better documentation around all of that. Um, and yeah, just like have a focus, have a focus week on that. Um, you know, so that we can all, we can all focus on that together. Great. Uh, do you want to talk about derived assets a little bit? I, I have some questions about them. Yeah, sure. I'd love to. All right. So first off, what what is the difference between a derived asset and a synthetic asset on Thorchain? Yeah. So a, a synthetic asset is uh, is is minted from like half native asset and half rune. Uh, the primary use case for synth is for uh, ARB. 
So they um, are a native asset to Thorchain, so they can um, uh, you know, be traded very quickly um, and, then, uh, and then always redeemed for the, the underlying. Um, the uh, derived asset in contrast is, is, is minted from Rune, so there's no uh, native asset component. Um, and the use case there is in uh, various Thorify features like savings vaults, um, and as well as uh, kind of um, exporting into other ecosystems. Um, so, you know, in the future, that will be via IBC or, um, or some other methods. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the main difference is that derived is minted from Rune and it since is um, backed by half native asset, half Rune. Is there is there a purpose behind that design? Uh, so oh yeah, so why is it that half of it is backed by Rune on uh, a synthetic asset versus one hundred percent of it on a derived asset? Because isn't the derived the derived asset is what where is the, the exporting element? Like that's that's what's going to be going to going out through IBC. People are going to be using that in other ecosystems like derived like Thor BTC, yeah. Like for example. So yeah, uh, yeah. So why is it like that? So, so the reason why um, derived assets was introduced was because uh, there's, if we look at, if we, so imagine we started exporting synths um, and uh, the synths are, you know, live living in, um, you know, IBC land or, or whatever, then we, but then we have a contraction in the uh, liquidity pool, um, then there, the kind of the liquidity pool can get kind of unbalanced in terms of the proportion of synths that make up that pool, um, and that can that can cause some issues for for LPers. And so, so the idea is that you know because that you know that harms LPers, we want to make sure that you know synths stay in Thorchain um, and you know continue to benefit the network uh, and and then have their primary purpose around the around ARB. Um, and so then the kind of concept of derived assets came in where it's like, okay, well, here we have a, an asset that we can, can mint that, you know, doesn't harm, doesn't harm LPRs, um, has these other qualities that we like in terms of, um, uh, utilizing Rune, um, you know, but that doesn't, yeah, it just doesn't have that same uh, risk profile to, to LPs. Um, I guess the other side of it is that, you know, the, the maximum amount of synths that you could mint, um, you know, set by the, the cap or like relative proportion to the pool, the, uh, in, on the drive asset side, you know, there, you don't have that, um, uh, coupling with the, uh, with the amount of native necessarily. Um, there's some kind of discussion around, you know, what should be the appropriate coupling there, but you, know, you, we can kind of relax that, um, relative to them. And my, my other question is, so we know that there's a, currently a parameter in the network and it can be up to 33% of, uh, sorry, the synthetic asset depth can be up to 33% of the pool depth. Right now, uh, the, right now the maximum is set to be around 15% because I don't think we've even, uh, any asset has really, really hit their head on the ceiling of that yet uh, to make that necessary to raise. So uh, what, is, what does it mean for the derived assets if they're both, if they're both being, uh, you know, minted through burning of rune, uh, is there any correlation between the uh, the maximum depth that a synthetic asset can be and the maximum depth that 
a derived asset can be? Do, do you know uh, yeah, so like, how, first, how we're going to go about that? Yeah. So, so maybe I can just reframe your question to make sure I'm, I'm following. So, so you're asking about the depth of, uh, or the amount of derived asset relative to the depth of the pool. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. that's, if, if like, uh, if Thorchain wants to be the, one of the biggest exporters of a synthetic Bitcoin, which, which we easily have the, we have the position that, uh, you know, we have the ability to, you know, back, have, have Bitcoin that's actually backed de- in a decentralized way by, uh, by real Bitcoin, right? Uh, we could be the primary exporter of that. So I, I'm, I'm curious about the pool depths because if, the, if you know, if, say we have, uh, how much is in the BTC vault? 50 million in, in Bitcoin right now, I believe, or is it 100 million in Bitcoin? Uh, if, yeah, if it's right. only a couple of percent of that, then there's going to be no liquidity on a derived asset. Even if 100% of the derived asset is in, you know, a, a pool in some other IBC chain, uh, so yeah, yeah that, that, that's, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, um, I, I, so like there isn't, there is no like theoretical limit to the amount of drive asset. Um, I think that there are certainly some economic security, um, yeah, just kind of decisions that we can, we can raise to the community in terms of like what is an appropriate proportion or, or if, uh, or if we want it to be uncapped. Um, the, the other uh, kind of interest or like thing to consider here is like, where are the other demand centers for derived assets? And that will be you know, largely the savings fault uh, for a single sided um, exposure. And so in, in that case, um, you know, I could see that the derived asset, uh, the amount of like, so using Thor BTC as an example, the amount of uh, Thor BTC is greater or that's in kind of circulation is greater than the um, amount of native BTC in the pool. Um, with the caveat that, you know, 80% of it is locked in savings vault. Um, and the idea there is you know, if it's locked in savings vault, there's a, 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 a kind of time delay in terms of how much of that can be withdrawn at any given point in time uh, so that then the network can kind of manage its liability in terms of um, the, the situation where people wanted to redeem it uh, or kind of burn that drive asset for room. Um, so Long story short, there's like a there's a lot of um, uh, moving pieces, and I think like you know that's kind of on uh, us as the devs to kind of raise the uh, options uh, so that we can kind of discuss those as a community. Sweet, I, I definitely am looking forward to the day when we can be uh, you know one of the biggest exporters of especially Bitcoin because that's such a you know. It's such a wanted service that 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 people want to have. Uh, there's there's a uh, an interesting post a couple of days ago by by Chris Black. I don't know if anyone else here saw it, but it was about the uh, the WBTC multisig. Yeah. Uh, in, 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 did you see that, Ryan? Yeah, I did. Yeah the the documentation for uh, you know who holds the keys to this uh, WBTC multisig and. Uh, like some of these entities just don't exist anymore. Some of them are, you know, all just, it's, it's very unclear who actually holds the keys to all this, uh, you know, this rapid coin, or even if it's accessible, that's the thing. No, nobody even knows if this WBTC multi-sig vault is even accessible to this day. It hasn't, I don't think anyone's been in it in uh, a good number of years now. So we, we have a completely different, uh, you know, way of, way of doing things, which I think, uh, you know, that, w- that we would say is, 
you know, much more secure and, uh, you know, the, the, the better asset to propagate throughout the ecosystems than, you know, something like WBTC. Yeah, absolutely. I think another, another aspect here um, that's important to consider is, okay, so let's imagine that we have, um, you know, three or four times the amount of derived asset like for BTC um, in circulation uh, over the depth of the, of the pool. Um, the, you know, so the, the expectation for users is that they should always be able to, um, to redeem their Thor BTC for one BTC, uh, you know, less, less fees. Um, and, uh, that all, that all holds, but the, um, uh, consideration is like over what time period. Uh, so if, if all, you know, for, X amount of uh, Thor BTC it tries to redeem, um, you know, essentially burning and then swapping the native Bitcoin all at once. Um, you know that causes big shifts in the in the um, virtual pool and uh, you know a lot of flip ensues. So um, and a kind of like way to kind of push against that is making sure that we have very responsive ARB bots that can uh, you know kind of balance the um, balance the uh, sell pressure on Rune to buy Bitcoin at that point in time. Um, so yeah, there's just a few a few things that we are like considering, you know, in terms of like what they what what are um, you know economically motivated actors, you know, encouraged to do uh, based on these different scenarios. And I think it's I think it's um, probably definitely a like edge case where everybody would want to redeem all at once. But you know, we want to know that the um, you know, that the system is robust to that and, uh, you know, kind of early analysis is indicating that that's the case. So, uh, still more to do, but, you know, super excited about all that. Hey, Impossible Hunter. Uh, not sure if you had a question. Question. So I'm yeah, not that Hunter. familiar. Oh, there you go. Sorry, just coming through. I think, yeah, I think you're good now. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, so yeah, well, I'm going to be at the consensus, consensus event in June also. So I'm excited to meet you guys. Uh, uh, secondly, my main question for IBC, I'm not that familiar, actually. I haven't delved deep into it, but so this derived asset scenario, Thor.BTC. So if I was on like osmosis, hypothetically, I and I wanted Bitcoin, I could get Thor.BTC and then swap it back to Thor chain and then convert it to real BTC. Is that, could you kind of delve into that for me? Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, so in the future, when uh, IBC is, is enabled, there would be a, yeah, it's likely that there would be a um, for BTC uh, pool on Osmosis. And, um, you know, everybody in, in kind of the Cosmos ecosystem can do their thing. There's a, there's that, um, for BTC that they can, can use. And then, you know, in the event that they want to, um, convert that to, you know, native Bitcoin, then they would uh, be able to IBC it across to Thorchain and then, and then, um, there would be a swap or they would burn that for Rune and then Rune to, um, native Bitcoin. Um, so it's a really cool, um, or yeah, it's, it's going to be a super powerful, um, tool for, for users to get access to, to, you know, the representation of the coin that they want when they want it. Um, I'm really, really excited for that because, uh, you know, kind of current, current, um, 
uh, kind of custody around, uh, you know, wrapped tokens and stuff like that is, is lacking. So I think it's going to be really powerful. Yeah, no, it sounds actually really great. Definitely should bring in a lot of, uh, sorry for the noise, um, but definitely should bring in a lot more people, you know, to ThorChain, which would be great. Also, the interesting thing to think about there is of what it, kind of merging the two concepts that Orion was talking about, where derived assets are entirely burned rune. So in order to have a uh, derived Bitcoin, a, a Thor BTC, right, uh, you need to burn that amount of runes. Or what is that? Maybe like 4,000 rune today. You need to burn that 4,000 rune to do that. So if you're, uh, you know, if you're a Thor BTC whale uh, and you have all this all this Thor BTC, uh, which you're, you know, farming on, on, on osmosis or something like that. Like, uh, you know, do, doing something in the IBC world with it, or, uh, you know, you just, you just want to have a better alternative to uh, another rap version of Bitcoin. Uh, you, you can, you can do that with, you know, the, the, the custody solution that you think works best for you, which, you know, we think is obviously ThorChain being that, you know, WBC is completely, non-transparent and we don't we don't even know if that that bitcoin is accessible or not uh you know not, not to flood uh, wbtc but um you know we have a, a great solution for that which burns rune uh you know just by participating in that uh in that in that economy of uh you know rap bitcoin alternatives hey chad how you guys doing sorry i'm late hey how's it going not too bad, not too bad. No been talking derived assets uh, mostly. Ooh, derived assets, one of my favorite topics. <laughs> yeah, it's an exciting one. We were, we were just talking about all the potential uh, door BTC to go out on IBC and all the, all the ruin that needs to burn for that to happen. Um, a question I, I had around that actually was, um, I know this idea was kind of floated or, or teased a little bit, but... Um, any thoughts on like the concept of the like the the savings BTC kind of being like its own um, token as well? So you could have like the uh, how do you phrase it? Like the the yield bearing version of Thor BTC. Like, will that potentially be something that could be composable as well? Is that kind of the potential? Like, you think it's going to go that way? Uh, it certainly can. Um... I think I think the intention at this point is just to get the just the the, the um, thing working first, and so in V one it may not be there, but in V two, um, trying to keep V one very scoped and very like you know narrow narrowly scoped, and so to make sure we don't kind of like uh, you know get get too far ahead of ourselves in some sense, and so by keeping it narrow, we can you can launch it earlier. Um, spend more time testing it, that kind of stuff on, on narrow feature set. So I, th- I don't, I don't think at least at this point in time, that obviously could change, but at this point in time, I think it's probably not going to have that, that functionality in V1, but uh, once we get all this stuff out and rolling and, and working and all that kind of stuff, we can, we can talk about, you know, adding that as a, a second, um, second um, uh, feature or whatever uh, further down the road. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I'm, I'm fully in favor of that. Like keep it, it's already going to be freaking wild. So, uh, you know, keep it a little bit contained, uh, for the time being, but it's cool to, it's cool to know that like, that's where we could be headed further into the future. And then you could have a, a yield bearing BTC on in a pool on osmosis or something like that. Like everything we were just talking about, but plus a BT, like a yield bearing version, which just kind of amplifies the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I think in order to get this thing, in order for that to be valuable, like that concept of a, of a yield bearing BTC asset, 
uh, coin token, whatever, um, is that you need to be able to, to beam it to other locations to, to do things like osmosis is an example you just gave, but like being able to beam it to Ethereum, right? And so people can use instead of using WBDC as an asset on Ethereum's DeFi like protocols, theoretically having you know yield bearing uh, Thor BDC. Uh, but in order to do that, we need we need to build this like kind of uh, being able to, to to mint and burn. Uh, uh, native assets on remote chains. And so that's something that, that myself and other people at core devs have kind of been discussing or, or kind of brainstorming of different mechanisms of how that could be accomplished. Ethereum is actually some of the most complicated to be fair, but um, we need to get that working, get that working with just like the rune asset itself, for example, just the rune is more pervasive and more ecosystems and just becomes like a gateway drug to draw more people to, to buy and acquire. Uh, Rune and become, you know, Thorchad in some sense. But what, being able to start with Rune is a kind of the first asset and then being able to expand to ThorBDC, yield bearing ThorBDC, like all of these other things is like, you know, it becomes easy peasy at that point. Yeah, totally. Uh, so when, when you're saying like uh, minting it on the remote chain, like just to kind of clarify that, you're, you're saying like burn native Rune, but mint like an ERC20 or BTC. Right, right. So we, what ended up happening is, uh, well, we still haven't ironed out the, how this actually be structured, but theoretically, would, you take Thor BDC, you would burn it natively, and then you would mint Thor BDC on, as a CW20 or an ERC20 or an IBCS20 or something of this nature on some other chain. So the total supply of, of Thor BDC is the same. The, the supply doesn't increase or decrease. It just moves from chain A to chain B in a sense, right? And so it's still like one asset, but it has multiple homes in a, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, I mean, it's really the perfect system for this multi-chain, like whether that's Thor USD uh, going out, but like it, it's still kind of backed by real rune, which is essentially kind of backed by all these real native assets. So it's like such a cool design for, for going out on other chains. So that'll be wild. Yeah, yeah and, and it becomes like a huge multiplier of the demand for Thor BTC, the demand for yield bearing Thor BTC, the demand for Thor USD, like all of those assets. There, the demand comes for right, right now. It's from the, the Thor chain ecosystem, which is like you know lending and uh, savings and like all these different products. But once you beam it to as a, just a general asset you can use on more or less any DeFi ecosystem in the greater space, well, then you just basically thousand x the use cases for it, right? And so now it also means that you probably greatly increase the demand for that asset because now it can be used for many more purposes or in your applications. And so obviously inherently when you increase the demand for an asset, the, you know, uh, will burn more rune and mint more for BDC or, or what have you. Uh, and so the natural result of that is just more room being burned. And, but the funny part about it is that like, for people who are acquiring Thor BDC to, to like throw it into Aave or something, just make a random uh, example. Most of those people, if not the vast majority of them, uh, probably won't even realize what they're actually doing, which is they're they're burning <laughs> they're burning room when they do it. So like they don't even know that they're contributing to the, like, the actual ecosystem of Thorchain. They just think they're just acquiring an asset and using it within Ave or or whatever. But in reality, they're just putting more pressure just to burn more and more and more room without them even like even being rune fans of fandoms of the, of the Thorchain ecosystem <laughs> necessarily. So that becomes like a really kind of funny thing of just like the, the amount of rune that can be burned because of this reason is, is um, it's like befuddles my brain in a sense. It just becomes such a massive concept that I just can't even numerically represent it. 
Yeah, you just mentioning that, you just mentioning being able to use derived assets in another DeFi protocol like Aave or like, you know, something that, you know, maybe someone's more familiar with another protocol and then, uh, you know, they come across derived assets and then that gives them the uh, the ability to to do what they want to do in, in DeFi land, but they could use, uh, you know, ThorChain's DeFi assets on the platform that, that they like or that they're comfortable with. And, you know, we could be of service to them that way. Yeah, that's exactly right, because... That's one something that's so unique. I've said this before, but it's a really important point is that Thorchain is not trying to like take from everybody's other others ecosystems and then have them convert to being a Thorchain ecosystem person. It's instead we're trying to empower other systems, whether it be Terra or Ethereum or you know Avalanche or whatever it might be. And so yeah, people become, you know, advocates of it just because it supports their own ecosystem. And if you're going to use a BDC asset on Ethereum, are you going to use WBDC or are you going to use ThorBDC? Out of those two, out of those two, which one, you know, would you prefer to use? And I think for most people, this is my personal opinion, but for most people, they'd rather use a decentralized version of Bitcoin rather than a centralized version of Bitcoin, right? Uh, like it just makes logical sense to me. Maybe they don't trust the algo aspect to ThorBDC or the algo aspect to derived assets in general, which would also expand to like something like UST. But like, you know, people have the different opinions and they can do whatever the they want. But the fact that we're offering a decentralized, actually legitimately one-to-one ratio decentralized Bitcoin asset on Ethereum that is not secured by a multi-sig by a handful of individuals, that I think is supremely valuable. And if you look at like WBDC, you look at RENBDC, you look at TBDC, all these these things, like how many Bitcoin exists on those networks? It's like, I mean, I don't even know the numbers. I think it's like hundreds of millions, if not billions of, of dollars. Or like, I can't even, I, I actually look at the number. I think it's like 300,000 Bitcoin or some crazy number. I have to look it up. RENBTC has a market cap of 420 million. Nice. Yeah, 400, 400, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just Ren. Um, where's WBDC? Is that it's something like ridiculous, isn't it? I remember it being like it was. I'm looking up right now. Look, we got a curiosity. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's like eleven billion dollars. <laughs> Crazy. That's a lot of Ren. That, that's that's uh, what uh, five times as much rune as an existence needs to burn. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Ren BDC is at half a billion. Uh, WBC is at 11 billion, you know, TBDC is at some other number. I'll look it up real quick. Uh, TBDC is at, what is that? Point oh, market cap doesn't have the number for it. But like, that's talking about like tens of billions of dollars worth of like of minted ERC 20 BDC. And like, if you give them an alternative that is not, you know, attached to a multi sig or something like that, I think people will go for it. It's my two cents. Yeah. On that thought, you know, I, I think it, would have a lot of parallels with the adoption of UST. Um, you know, in the early days, like it kind of needs to establish itself, become trustworthy. Like you need to know that one UST is worth $1 or one Thor BTC is worth one BTC. But like, as that kind of like establishes itself, then of course, from the kind of like, uh, philosophical angle or whatever you'd say, like, like from the actual, what makes sense to people, as long as you can trust it, like it's a way better product. Like, of course people are going to be drawn towards the the decentralized version as long as it is, you know, reliable, which we obviously like think it will be, but like that kind of needs to establish itself and, and become like the norm. But then like sky's the limit for that. It's, it's insane. Yeah, exactly. Can't wait for Thor 5 E2. 
when I actually wanted to talk about uh, Thor five V three. I mean, like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about V1 still. I haven't gotten to V2. I mean, there's there's some things in V2, like for example, V2 could do that whole thing you were talking about about having like you know an AUST version of AUST for for Thor BDC, right? A Thor BDC or whatever the hell it would be. Um, the other thing we talked about which for for V2, which is I think is very exciting, is the idea that you can um, opt into getting a fixed rate interest on your Thor uh, savings position. So if you put it in Thor BC and you just, you know, you don't care about whatever the yield actually is. You just want to make sure you get a consistent income at, you know, 5% or, or 10, whatever the number you can actually pick up your, pick, pick your own number. And as long as the rest of the market is willing to, to match it, it can, it can be whatever the hell it wants to be. There's no uh, determination on that, but that just becomes like a, a super, like a thing, uh, important thing because it gives you 100% guaranteed, no if ends or buts. Um, to get, you know, say you opted for like a 7% fixed rate on your Tor BDC and your savings, guarantee 7% interest. So if you put one BDC, you know, come back a year later, you'll get your 1.07, um, uh, you know, BDC, whatever. And so like, that is like a supremely attractive thing, like, especially for people like Bitcoin whales who were, they're not looking for like, you know, 30, 40% APY on, on their, you know, $2 billion worth of BDC. They're not looking for that. I mean, we, we literally have conversations with many people who are like this. They're looking for like maybe 3%, maybe 2%. Like that's where they're happy because they don't want to take on massive risk. They want to take on just consistent income because getting 3% yield on a billion dollars is like, you know, that's great. You don't, even, you don't have to worry about, you know, trying to shoot for, you know, 40% if you want, like some DGENs might do. So like they'll opt in for the system and then everybody else who, who wants to degen, right? They can they provide that that two percent that three percent yield whatever that, that number is and you can do partial orders blah, blah blah but like you can put in some some BDC to give the guarantee that three percent yield but then you earn the yield of their billion dollars of, of assets and so you guarantee them the three percent and then say that billion dollars makes you know seven uh, percent or something like this then you take home the difference which is you know, 4% in this case, right. Or something like this. And so like you put in X and you get Y and Y is like, you know, it can be a hundred percent larger, you know, for example, uh, than what you actually put into the system before and getting a hundred percent APY. And literally this is, could be mathematically true. I might be exaggerating. Uh, you can get like hundred percent APY on your, on your BDC. If you, if you're willing to take on that additional risk of like what the pool is going to yield over the course of, a month or a day uh, or year, whatever the hell the numbers are going to be. That's like super interesting. Pairing the DGENs with the not so DGENs and letting the kind of dice roll and the money falls where the money falls. Hey, Prime Directive, do you have a question? Yep. Yeah. Uh, can you hear me? Yep. It's more of a comment um, just to kind of uh, piggyback off of what Chad said. And I think it's pretty cool that he used to. That Chad, I think it's cool that you use seven percent, um, because just to put some perspective on that, for someone who wants to set it and forget it and and not be you know the, the risky degen, seven percent just to sort of accent how amazing that number is. I when I was a baby, my grandfather bought me some bonds, and um, you know they were fifty dollar bonds. You know every year I would get like a fifty dollar or a hundred dollar one, um, and 
they would compound themselves, you know, over the years. And I found them under my parents' bed when I was like 22 years old. And uh, I went to the bank and I said, Hey, I want to cash one of these in. And the lady looked at me and she said, are you sure you can't get, uh, you can't get a rate like this uh, anymore. These are really valuable. And I was like, I don't know. Okay. Just, do, you know, let me just do one $50 bond. They handed to me like $700 cash. Like to me, that was a huge deal then. Um, but something like that, that's guaranteed, um, fixed at 7%. Um, you know, that is really a huge deal and it's going to be a huge deal for a lot of people who are not like me, who just throw insane money, uh, high risk, high rewards, you know, that I just wanted to accent what you said there because it's, it's, it's serious. I'm complete. Well, so just to give some context, to be fair, like the 7% or 3% numbers, I'm just making up numbers right now, but the actual percentage that you can get fixed rate is just depending upon free market decisions, right? Like it's not the net, it's not the network determining this. It's not me determining this. It's not anybody particularly in the world for me, but rather it's the free market in general kind of opting in. Right. So on the one hand, you have somebody says, you know, uh, if I'm a, I want to get fixed rate, if I want to get 50% fixed rate, like nobody's going to match that because that's a ludicrously high number. No DGEN's going to take that on. That's just, you would lose boatloads of money if you were to do that, right? As a DGEN. But if you said, like, oh, well, I want 1%, like everybody and their mother's going to pile a fuck into that situation because that is like a no brainer. I have to give this guy 1% and I'll get the yield of his capital, which will be probably, you know, something much higher, right? Order of magnitude, 3x lot larger, 4x larger, give me a 400% yield. I'm just like, I'll, I'll, I'll ape into that. So on the low end, like DGENs will, will, will feast. And on the high end, you know, the uh, the fixed rate people, the, you know, the kind of conservative individual, so to speak, will, you know, feast, right? And so, but they're not going to allow each other, they're not going to feed on each other per se. And in, in that sense of like, no one's going to take 1% and no, nobody's going to give 1% and nobody's going to supply 50%. That just, you know, so at some level you have to create like conceptually what an order book is, right? Where you have people kind of matching people with people and saying, like, okay, these people want to get this, these people want, are willing to give that. And so let's put them in a room and kind of match them up and blah, 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 and like all that kind of stuff. So the free market will end up, will end up determining what the appropriate fixed rate in, interest is for BDC, for F, for Luna for whatever asset we're talking about. And so I don't know what that number is going to be, but the market will determine it naturally on its own. And whatever it is, is, you know, arguably the correct amount. Awesome. Thank you. Also on this bond point, it's kind of funny, but like, we're also, we're, we're talking about Bitcoin here. Like we're talking about a fixed supply, like arguably deflating in a way, uh, like this, this futuristic asset that is only, there's like, there's only so much of it ever for all time, potentially like could be the reserve currency of like the world versus the dollar with like a fixed rate bond or whatever that is, you know, can be printed at will by the government. So it's just kind of funny just to put it into perspective of like, just how mind blowing that really is. Like even, even Bitcoin at 0% is already looking pretty good compared to a bond on fiat. So, um, a, a fixed, any fixed rate yield on Bitcoin is kind of just like absolutely mind shattering. And I'm going to have to come back and listen to this to understand the the fixed rate dynamic. But so, so like if you were taking a higher, like a, the more degen side, like what additional risk are you actually taking on? Or is it just being balanced by like the people that prefer to just lock in a lower 
yield because they might have less like less trust or belief in the system or something or like what's yeah going on? so so as a as a so say i'm a conservative person and i i just want to earn like a lower percentage of the yield right and and chad you're like a dgen right and so 100 and so like that's just the situation and i have one bdc right and i'm like all right i'm gonna go ahead and put my one bdc into, into thor savings and get you know bdc interest on my bdc blah 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 and let's just imagine for a second that the, that the bdc pools at 20% yield right now. Okay. Uh, all right. So theoretically speaking, uh, let's imagine that I'm making 20%. The pool is making uh, 20% and the amount of BDC that has been locked up is equal to the amount of uh, collateral that's been added to the pool. Blah, blah, blah. Therefore, uh, I'm earning a 20% yield, right? But that can change tomorrow because the yield can go down the pool or more people pile into th- savings. And so the yield drives down for me. And even though the pool yield is the same, for me, it can drop down to 10% or some number or because more people are kind of piling into the savings thing. And so I want to say, look, well, I want to be make sure I have guaranteed income. Uh, I don't care if it's smaller because I'm willing to take that kind of that kind of less risk, uh, but more secure income. So I'm going to say that I will I will do you know 10% fixed rate, right? So and so Chad Thoreau comes over and he says, oh that's kind of interesting. So if I pro- provide you know 0.1 BDC that 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 10% yield that Chad's going to you know would would be requiring to earn, I'm going to provide that 10% and lock it up into the network. So that guarantees Chad will get, you know, 1.1 uh, BDC at the end of the year. And then whatever yield my node, my, my, my node, but my, my capital makes within that time span of that year, Chad throw gets it. Right. So if it stays consistent at 20%, let's just say, then you basically doubled your money. You put in 0.1 and you, and you actually get out 0.2 at the end of the thing. Right at the end of the year, so you just got 100% yield on your BDC. That sounds pretty fucking amazing, right? Uh, let's imagine the other scenario happens where the pool yield drops from 20% and it goes down to 10%. Well, then you basically, you know, you basically break even, right? I get my 10%. You made 0% yield in that course of that year. You know, okay, you broke even. I made my 10%. I'm all, I'm all happy. Now it's better. You can see even worse. Let's say it drops down to like five percent yield for the pool, right? For for the um, uh, savings, whatever. So now I get my five percent, but you get instead of uh, getting back your point one you put in, you get get um, zero point zero point zero five back. So you lose half of your position. So you lost fifty percent in that scenario, right? So as a DGen, you're taking on more risk, but you're also taking on more reward. Right. And so you're just kind of making a, a, a determination of like, well, how much reward risk am I willing to take? Is 10% am I willing to go as high as 10%? Okay. What if I took, you know, 5%? Okay. Like that's significantly less, you know, um, significantly less uh, risk involved for you as a DGEN, because even if the pool drops down to 5%, you still break even. I still get my 10%, my, my, uh, the 5% that I wanted, and you didn't, you know, take as much risk on, and you didn't take any losses, and you only provided half the interest, half the capital you did before, right? So for me, it's like I can, I can determine, oh, I want 20% fixed rate. And like nobody would do that because it's like, it becomes very, like just too risky for, you know, Chad Thoreau being uh, a DGEN. But if I said, you know, 5%, I think Chad Thoreau might be really interested in that because right now the, the yield is like 3x that, right? So he's like, all right, that's probably a good, a good amount of, you know, risk involved there, but not too much risk. It kind of fits my portfolio risk profile that I want to have. 
and you kind of you know make that that kind of gamble in a sense, and gamble in a sense, right? Where you're predicting how the 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 pool the the yield will happen for the savers over the course of a year or a month or you know some a week. You know, it doesn't matter what the period of time is per se. Um, and so you're just kind of making that gamble, right? So me as a person who's being conservative and you know I want to make sure I have guaranteed income. No matter what happens, I'm going to get my you know my fixed rate, whatever that is that I kind of set for myself is kind of like what I'm willing to to take. And then for you, you're just kind of setting me off to like I'm I'm willing to go as high as you know seven percent. And so I'm at ten percent. You're at seven percent. We don't match. We're not going to you know meet in the middle. And so neither one of us is getting. Uh, you know, going into this kind of fixed rate or degen scenario. But if you kind of, if you kind of, if you say, you know, 11% and I say 10%, then it'll just match that at, at 10% basically at that point. So that's basically how it works from a high level perspective. And anybody who wants to match, you know, a degen wants to come in and match, you know, the yield of a, uh, of a um, uh, conservative individual who wants to get fixed rate, you know, Go right, you know, balls to the wall. Go, go do what you want to do, right? You, you take on whatever risk you want to do, and don't take on any much risk you want to do. It becomes a free and open market for people to kind of behave the way they want to do it, which is why it becomes like an order book, effectively. That's crazy, mind blown once again. Once you think you can't get any crazier, it it, it manages to get crazier. <laughs> that's that's amazing. That's going to be wild. Yeah, yeah I, I think it'd be crazy because I think most Bitcoin like you know whales are going to opt for like a three percent or two percent number. And I think a lot of, you know, maybe a lot of DGENs are kind of into that. And so, and you know, a billion dollars is a lot of money. So you don't have to have a billion dollars to match it. You have to match that 10% they're looking for. That's that 3%, excuse me, that 3% they're looking for. But you don't have to match, you don't have to match the full year. You can just like, you know, you and, and Familiar Kyle are, are, you know, can both provide 50% of it or whatever. And so you can have a bunch of people kind of co- combine together to acquire that you know, that number needed in a sense, right? Kind of like, kind of like partial orders within like an order book. Like you can, you can, if, you, if your price is struck, but you, they're selling X, but you're buying Y, it'll do a partial order, right? Um, so conceptually the same thing there. So it, it's, it's pretty fascinating. And it just allows people to earn a higher yield on their BDC if they choose to, or, or get a more consistent lower yield they have to up the individual to choose what they want for themselves. And brought two people up here for questions. Uh, Chloe, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, good evening. Or good day. Happy Friday. <laughs> very, very cool. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, I'm uh, Chloe. Um, I'm a pro, I'm a full-time eel farmer and uh, specializing in. Uh, well, I'm <laughs> well, I'm eel farmer, so specializing in eel farming. Uh, mainly focus on the phantom uh, uh, ecosystem. Uh, so I am working for one uh, big one organization called eelfarming.com. Uh, and uh, we uh, we are we are the biggest uh, out there, and I uh, as uh, I know the searching is uh, really aggressively on the native uh, uh, coins. So um, uh, therefore, I would love to invite you for uh, AMA. Uh, we, as I said, we have uh, almost twenty thousand members, and it's uh, it really is uh, fantastic. You you can't imagine the growth we have we are having. So it would be great for the ecosystem to grow, and for our members to get to know you, to uh, you know to actually uh, acting as a bridge to have uh, uh, to dive deeply deeply into the ecosystem. 
and to find the farming opportunities. And also that I'm pretend I'm uh, producing, uh, you know, educational content for uh, girls, for women in DIFA, because I am a woman. And uh, when I first started, I got uh, scammed. So I know it is extremely difficult uh, because I've been through there. So I know uh, it is uh, is so uh, important to actually have somebody that you can ask question you can you can go to when when you are frustrated or overwhelmed uh, because uh, it was extremely difficult when I started I just couldn't find anybody to ask uh, I went through the hard way uh, it was uh, I, I it was difficult so yeah so I encourage all the girls if you have questions uh, please feel free uh, I want to bring more women into uh, DIFA, especially in, you know, Web3, you farming, investing, uh, we need more women, same as we need more men, we need uh, more people coming, uh, this is uh, going to be a win-win for everybody. Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, open invitation. And uh, for uh, who should I contact? Charlie? Or searching, I don't know your name. So, uh, oh, should I? Uh, whoever you're, you're welcome to contact whoever. You can DM me, you can DM Chad Thoreau or, or Familiar Cow there, who's currently running as the uh, the moderator, the host. Uh, I'm happy to do it. I'm sure Chad Thoreau is happy to do it. You know, Fabulous. DM us and, and, and invite us over, and we'll have happy to do it. Fabulous. Yeah, thank you. I'll DM you. Thank you very much. I have a fabulous Friday and the weekend. You too. Thanks, Chloe. I just sent you a DM from my regular account, Familiar Cow, and we can we can coordinate. And let's let's definitely do something. That'd be great. Oh, beautiful! Thank you so much. Yeah. KJ, what's up? Hey guys, how's it going? Good. You? Good. Good. Uh, I missed the beginning of that discussion about Thorfy, so I just wanted to clarify something, or at least uh, uh, get a little bit of a better understanding about um, how the yield works. Um, so, for the, I, I, I wasn't aware that um, the the fixed the fixed return that Chad was talking about a second ago. Uh, I didn't really get. Is it fixed? As in, you you kind of bid on what kind of yield you're looking for, and the free market will kind of decide. Hey, I'm willing to match that and pay it out, sort of thing. Or is it as, or does it mean it's fixed in the protocol itself? And for example, it's hundred well, days so it's stuck in there or something like two, that. Two things. One is it's the former. You, you okay. say what you want, and the free market determines. Can I satisfy you if they're willing to satisfy you? But I wanted just to clarify one thing, just to make sure I, I say this because I don't want to make. Uh, misconstrue things is that this this idea of fixed rate income uh, fixed rate interest for savings is probably not going to be in V one of, of Thorfi. It's going to be something I'm advocating for, or pushing for within the, the the devs. Something we can put into maybe V two, uh, just because we put into V one, it's just like it's just another layer of complexity on top of the savings thing we're already trying to build. So it's kind of stay trying to stay narrowly scoped on the Thorfi V one features and just kind of get the core uh, fundamentals delivered and and strong and reliable and all these things and then once we've done that we can go ahead and start like iterating on that and add x y and z including that fixed rate stuff so it won't be part of v1 probably most likely uh and uh but to answer your question is whatever fixed rate increase you want to make you can you know tell the world i want to make this and if anybody was willing to match it the, the network will match the two 
Perfect. That makes sense. Uh, just a quick follow up on that. So just to, just to dumb it down like to a super simple level, if somebody is looking to earn yield on it, let's say down the road in V2 or whatever it may be, let's say they've got, you know, one BTC, they want to put it in, they want to earn 1.1 as the, as in the example you described, would that 1.1, um, would it be released to them after a certain period of time down the road or do they get paid that yield kind of on whatever, whatever time scale uh, the protocol, however it works. And then they can take that out, for example, to live for living expenses, things like this, or is it kind of like at the end of it, you get the entire thing back. Uh, to be honest, actually, you could do it three different ways. Um, you could do it. The first way is you get the whole, that, that, that point one back to you at the end of the year. That, that's the first way you can you could you could structure this thing. The second way to do it is you can just do it. You can re, you can just request it any time, and you just get whatever you percentage of that point one relative how far into the year we are. So you can just requ- you request that point one part of that point one is the further we get into the year, as many times as you want. Of course, we just got a little piece. Uh, and the third way you can think about it, which is I don't know why you wouldn't do this, but you, you theoretically could. It's just like you get the point one now. You have to keep in the one BDC into the network so that it's, so that it's kind of like earning that yield for the other guy for, for chat throw in this hypothetical. So you can't, you can't withdraw that. That's going to be locked in the system for you know one full year or whatever. But the point one, you might be able to unlock that now, like today before the year's up, like day one. And then you can use that to, you know, do whatever you want to do with it because that's already going to be guaranteed to you. And you'll get back your full BDC, you know, the principle of your kind of, uh, position at the end of the year once that one BDC has been used to earn the yield for Chad Thoreau being the, the kind of DJ in this scenario. Okay, that makes sense. Do you do you foresee um, things like broker finance adding on top of ThorChain new ways to kind of interact with it that we haven't seen before? Like for example, I guess in my mind I'm I'm still thinking about the old way things are gonna be like, you know, people are depositing their BTC into Celsius and they get paid daily and then they kind of can do what they want with it. Uh, I'm interested in the fact that you just said there's three different ways you could do it and you have flexibility. So that's awesome. But am I thinking about it the wrong way in terms of People want to like. I'm just trying to think of people I've spoken with, and they haven't really looked into Thorchain as much as they should have. Obviously, I'm doing my best to explain it to them. But from my understanding, the average person is just looking to, if they're going to move away from some of these platforms like Celsius and Nexo and stuff, where they don't really trust keeping their uh, their crypto with a th- third party custodian. Um, they want to kind of have the similar experience, but on something in a decentralized way. So. Would you say that definitely uh, what you're describing gets us to what they're looking for? Or do we have to think about it in a totally new and different way? Um, I think it's especially if you do what, what Chad Fedor was asking earlier about, like um, locking up, you know, getting a um, yield bearing BDC, for example. Like if you pull that out as, an, as a separate asset, like a, a BDC, just to copy the naming scheme of AUST. Um, if you were to do that, then then yeah, then you're right. Like at that point, you can do what the hell you want with it, and you can participate in broker. You can participate in, you know, uh, Uniswap. Like you can do anything in the world with it, and that becomes like super flexible, super powerful, uh, super useful for sure. I mean, having a having a interest bearing BDC asset on Ethereum over like WBC or something like this is just like. Phew. 
it blows my, my mind in a sense that just becomes astronomically interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, at that point, you can do what you want. Broker, broker can do what they want. Uh, lend, what's the thing? Lenscape, I think they call it. They can do the hell they want with it. You know, do a, you can build your own Cosmos chain or, or your own DeFi protocol and do something else with it. It becomes boundless, you know. Celsius can use it. Yeah, Celsius can use it. Like everybody can use it. Like that's, it becomes a completely permissionless, censorship resistant asset that you can use for any purposes or, or use cases that you can think or dream of. Which is I don't know. That, but that's that's if that's not bullish rumor, I don't know what the fuck would be. That's that's a crazy notion right there. So basically, it's more epic than we could have ever imagined, as usual. <laughs> I mean, for me, uh, what do you think, Orion? Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say that the. You know, you mentioned landscape and there's other other, you know, teams that are working on building on top of this. But, you know, folks are just scratching the limit in terms of how these things can get composed. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, KJ, when you're thinking about thinking about new, um, yeah, just new things that people can create, like composing on top of, uh, you know, drive assets and Thorify, like it's going to be crazy. And um yeah, I, I, I just, I don't know, big smile here. I'm just like thinking about all the crazy, crazy stuff that people can do. Um, and I think like, yeah, I just, I just love uh, riffing on, on those ideas and thinking through like what we can solve, um, you know, now that we have, you know, now that ThorChain sits at the cross chain or cross crossroads of everything, you know, it can go, it can go anywhere um, and is like so uniquely positioned um, compared to, to a lot of other, a lot of other primitives. Awesome. Thanks so much. Yeah. Also, just for folks listening, you know, open invitation to come up with cool ways to uh, build on top of uh, drive assets and other Thorify features. Um, yeah, if you want to want to riff on any, any of those, feel free to shoot me a DM. Happy to to chat. All right. Did you talk earlier about about uh, hyperinflation simulations we, we were running earlier? I, I haven't. Um, yeah. Do you want to you want to kick that off? Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting topic. Um, so Orion and I have been kind of uh, poking at the, like some economic modeling, uh, Python economic modeling, and just kind of basically what we're trying to do is we're trying to rebuild ThorChain uh, in Python, like the entire business, well, not so much the chain aspect, but just the business logic of how the math and economics functions and works. And so actually building a, an actual like class called a Thor node class and being able to, you know, add liquidity, withdraw liquidities, do swaps, like mint some derived assets or synthetics, and then do this with it and then go over there and get a loan and then do this. Like you can actually create an entire working um, thing within a, like a kind of economic modeling uh, environment. And so, so, so we can like, we can do all sorts of crazy, you might be things like, what if we burned this much room and then we did something else with it and then we did the, like, you can do all sorts of stuff. Um, it's like somebody actually today on Discord was asking their question about a potential like um, attack vector on Thorify. And so like, I actually built out like his scenario, like what if this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. And I literally built out that, about that whole thing step-by-step step and running through the simulator. And that thing, you know, showed me some results and like, it's very informative, very helpful. Anyways, so we've been playing with the math around like the idea of hyperinflation of the rune asset. That's commonly one of the biggest complaints around, um, you know, something like an algo stable or an algo coin like, like UST is or other forms or 30 USD or whatever is the idea of like, oh, the rune supply is no longer capped. 
you could get some really you know hairy situations where there's a room price dies and then everybody liquidates their derived assets, their absorb BC, their throw USD, and then the room supply increases by some percentage or number, which is like a bad scenario, right? And so one thing we, we were kind of trying to drive about is that um, um, that the idea of how algos work has been an evolving process. It's like still very new kind of concept in many respects. And it's why a lot of them are failing today, like iron and USD and, and you know, other ones. Um, and so I think what we realized in terms of what's different about the Thorchain design uh, than, than most of the other guys is that you have to pass through the uh, derived ass virtual pool, which is a slip based um, continuous liquidity pool. And so in a hypothetical scenario where everybody's just kind of like, you know, running for the door, right? Like the, the room price dives 50%. Okay. Now we're in a shitty situation. And then some sort of fun event, like, you know, maybe something happened and everybody's freaking out and everybody just starts dumping the Thor BDC into, you know, BDC and their Thor USD into UST and their Thor F into F like layer one F. So what would happen in that scenario? Right. How, how much would the room, quantity inflate, right? And so after running some uh, various scenarios and situations, which is a lot of different attributes you can kind of like tweak and, and change. But what we've realized is that uh, depending upon how fast and hard the bank run is, the better it is for the network, right? So if there's some massive fun event, everybody's dumping like crazy, like, you know, mass exodus for the, for the, for the, for the exit sign, blah, blah, blah. It's actually a, a, a beneficial thing for the network in that scenario in the context of the amount of room that inflates, right? It's actually from our from our numbers, um, like if the room price dives by like eighty percent, and everybody like leaves for the exit at that point in time, it's still not inflationary, meaning that the amount of room burnt to enter the system is not. Uh, less than the amount of room that was minted to get out. And that's because everybody's pushing the price and causing the uh, derived asset pool to become much more shallow because of a huge volume that's being passed through it. And by doing so, the fees increase, right? All the fees, uh, you know, uh, increase higher and higher and higher the more people are trying to running and exiting for the door. And so all that fees that are being collected goes into the LPs, it goes to the savers, it goes to the uh, the USD vault, like all those things. And so we're, like fundamentally what's happening, and it's really fascinating to kind of see the math kind of play out in the simulation, but you are taking money by a fees to the people who are like fudding and then the kind of the weak hands that are dumping their Thor BDC and Thor USD, whatever. And you're giving the value of them, those fees being taken out and you're giving it to those diamond hands people were LPing, the people were in savers, the people were in like the USD vault, like all these things. And so you're like, you're redistributing value from the fudders and you're giving it to like the diamond hand people within the network, right? And so you're, you're, you're giving the fudders a stick, right? And you're giving a carrot to the people who are staying by and not running for the door, right? And so <clears throat> because of that, the, there's not a hyperinflation scenario. Even when room's price dives by a huge margin, Again, it depends on how fast. If it's like a dump, everybody dumps to the market within you know an hour or so or, or something like this, then it w wouldn't hyperinflate the room token, right? If it happens over a longer period of time, over like a few days, and that's a different scenario, right? That 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 does become a hyperinflation. That does increase the supply of room 
if it's like a if it's instead of a bank run, it's a bank crawl, right? But bank runs do not. And so, like that was like unless the room price goes up down by ninety nine percent, then it becomes inflationary. That's obviously a ludicrous scenario. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so everybody's like you're everybody's being punished for leaving in a sense they're getting us they're paying higher in fees and people who are staying by are just getting, like making massive profits like, like in our in our in our uh, uh simulations we saw anything from like 200 percent apy within the context of that time period the that bank run <clears throat> we even see something in, in, in extreme scenarios of like fifty thousand percent apy in crazy crazy like hyper uh hyper crazy scenarios which would never actually happen in reality to be honest with you but just kind of playing with the math and, and, and taking it to crazy extremes just to see what would happen, right? <clears throat> Things that you would never actually see in reality, but just to understand how the math actually works, it helps to take it to crazy extremes. So that mechanism is a way of like curving a, a quote-unquote death spiral or curving a quote-unquote bank run is people that are staying by, staying by the network and people who are not dumping are just making massive yield, right? And so those people are probably going to stick around possibly because they're making a massive yield on their assets, right? Uh, yeah, it's really fascinating. Or Ryan, anything to add on that? Yeah, I just say that the um, the part about it that I'm really excited about is that like the that you know it, it's um, yeah just encouraging encouraging people to, um, uh, yeah, to just like be patient. Uh, so, so to clarify the, you know, as the volume, um, of people exiting increases, the, the, um, virtual pool depths get shallower, which then means that more, the more volume you shove through the pool, the higher the flip is. And so, um, you can still get your one for one, uh, less fees, but if you try to do that with a large volume, you know, you end up paying more fees. So, um, yeah, so that it, that's kind of the, the reinforcing of like being patient. And then, um, and then just to reiterate Chad's point, you know, the, the folks that stay in uh, savings vaults or in pools uh, effectively get a huge amount of uh, yield in, in those acute periods of, um, of high volume. And so, so then there's, you know, some, uh, kind of back pressure uh, on on all of this is in demand for people that want to participate in um, the savings vault in particular, which is then you know burning rune in order to mint a derived asset to then deposit in those savings vaults. So um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it blows my mind. The there are some um, other areas that we want to explore, but like it's very promising that you know we've you know are able to demonstrate. Through um, yeah, through the entire entire chain of logic, that in these acute situations where everybody is running for the exits at the same time, that um, you know, rune rune is robust or uh, store chain is robust to that. Um, the uh, yeah, just a, another shout out to the community. If if you guys have other scenarios, um, let us know. We wanna we wanna put together better uh, documentation and around the simulation so that you know we can answer these questions once. Um, you know, rather than having to, you know, address them each time they come up. Yeah. And one thing to add to that is like, if you looked at like iron, for example, which is a kind of a famous example of, uh, algo stable coin kind of failing part of the reason why it kind of death spiraled to zero is because the, the token itself, uh, the non-stable token was just a governance token of a dying, um, uh, framework dying like protocol. And so like, what is the, what is the buy pressure 
where does the black pressure come from to kind of like give it a floor so that it doesn't go all the way down to zero? And in Iron's case, like a governance token is pretty much most governance tokens are kind of they're kind of like useless and nobody really cares except for maybe like Curve. And so like nobody's going to buy it because it's like who wants to buy a you know governance token when the whole thing is like collapsing or whatever or there's some massive bank run happening. And so like in Thorchain's case, what's really fascinating is like well who wants to buy a room when the room price is tanking? Well, anybody wants to make massive yield does <laughs> because by buying rune and then, you know, jumping into the pools or jumping into savings or like one of these things, you're like, there's, while this whole ma- like massive exit happening, it's generating massive yield for everybody else. So it creates a, a, a buy demand, right? Uh, to, to acquire rune and to, to provide it in pools or what have you uh, during an event where everybody's, where people are running away. Right. And so you kind of create this like kind of counter force, you know, against the forces. You have the Flutter's force and then you have this counter force and the, like maybe the DGEN's coming in and like you just want to earn that massive yield. And, you know, and it collected, collected massive, you know, dollars on that sense. And so like having a system in place where even when there's like a, a death spiral or a bank run or however you want to call it, creating a, a reason why people would want to buy that token, even in that circumstance pretty incredible and i think it becomes very very strong uh way to protect the the network as a whole and the, the protocol as a whole really exciting by the way i think this would make like the best video of all time <laughs> if you guys were to like kind of run the simulator with like the the most popular um fud unraveling scenarios that anyone can come up with and kind of like talk it through and explain it, it would be Incredible. Cause yeah, I mean like, uh, these questions are going to come up like, like crazy. So it'd be really cool to, to have like, um, clear responses to, to these, these scenarios and stuff. Yeah. All right. I actually were talking about building a dashboard. Uh, cause once we have the simulator built up, we can, we can feed it the state of the current network of mainnet, like all the pools, how many LPs there are, how many derived assets there are, like all that data is like pull it in. And then like populate our simulation with all that same numbers and data and then like bank run the, the simulator and like see what the end result is. And so like we can have like, we can actually build a live dashboard, which maybe we'll do this maybe while I'm not really sure, but like it's kind of fascinating to me. Build a live dashboard you can go to at any given time. It'll take real data from the, the current like, you know, mainnet, whatever, and then like show you what would happen. And, and I think if we did that, it would just be very positive thing it will at least alleviate some of the concerns of like oh hyperinflation scenario you know yeah we were joking that it would be called the doom dash and you like look at it and it's like oh there there yeah nothing goes wrong um uh, but yeah i think that that would be really great uh, and and also like more more to that um yeah just making it easier for everybody to participate in um testing out the te- testing out the economic model Cool. We have uh, two people up on stage. Uh, Dan, what's up, Dan? Hey, everyone. That was a super interesting conversation just around like the bank run scenario, because uh, I think that's that's kind of one of the most interesting things of Thorify. It obviously runs, you know, around this this uh, algo stable. So that was that was a pretty interesting discussion, and I was just kind of curious around the me- actual mechanisms at play that kind of slow down. Uh, or I guess increase the exp- so increase the swap- slip based fee when you are redeeming your Thor USD uh, in that bank run scenario. So if the 
How do how do the virtual depths work? So if they start, do they always are they like consistently two times the uh, like is the virtual pool for Rune USD uh, always two times the Bitcoin pool, or is that where it starts and then it kind of just changes based on supply and demand, or how, how does that dynamic kind of shape? Yeah, up? so we've kind of like modded this this design a couple times since the original doc was 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 released, but <clears throat> basically how it's designed now uh, is that take Thor USD for example. And there's like five different pools. There's like DAI, USDC, UST, like whatever, whatever. And so you sum the amount of rune of all of the anchor pools for a given asset. For USD cases, it's those five pools. For, for BDC, it's just a BDC pool. Um, so that becomes like your starting point, right? Like, and you have, the, you have the correct number of rune, and then you figure out what the correct number of assets are mathematically by, by taking the median of the anchor pool or anchor pools. And so then you have like your starting point. And then the network kind of tracks like how much trade volume went through the anchor pools in the last like 300 blocks, for example, or like basically 30 minutes. And so it says, okay, the, um, the maximum where, you know, we'll probably go is like, you know, a 50% change of like enough trade volume to push the price 15% in the last 30 minutes. And these these like thirty these thirty minutes and fifteen percent these are all like memory controlled so we can configure them and change them later if we want to, but uh, they'd be fifteen percent twenty percent five percent like who knows we'll we'll can do some more math I think my math right now shows fifteen percent is the most effective or efficient, but we might change it later. But anyways, so say the pool you know gets um, say it's fifteen percent and the pool gets you know five percent. Of, of movement through like the anchors to, to cause a 5% change in the, in the, in the pool price, then the, basically it would be, it would be draw down like one, you know, one third. So it'd be one third of that sum of that rune of all those anchor pools divided by, you know, uh, you know times um, 0.67, blah, 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 whatever. And that becomes the depth of the pool, right? Now we did, I did some analysis on like the complete history of all the pools to figure out like, if we'd implemented this derived as a thing since the very beginning, like how deep would the pools be at any given time? Like how often would it, you know, go down like really low? Like there's a minimum cap of like 1% of the depth. So if it's like, you know, a, a, you know, hundred rune in the, and all the anchor pools combined, then 1% would be just one room, blah, blah, blah. So I did the math of it out and, and I actually generated some graphs and I shared it to, with Orion and others in the team. Um, and so if we, if we set it to like 15%, like that would, it would never be a number that would be all that problematic. It's very extremely, extremely rare. The only time it actually went higher than like, than like 20% in the complete history of the chain was Ethereum actually went to 80% and within 30 minutes, just because of the uh, exploits that we had, uh, where the, the price was all incorrect and blah, 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 and all that shit happened. Um, but that's the only time that I've ever actually seen that in reality over the last year of economic data. So 15% sounds like a good number to me. We, we can tweak it. We find that it's too uh, sensitive or not sensitive enough. Um, yeah, so the more trade volume goes to the anchor pools, it reduces the, the virtual pool depth to be as low as 1% if you get these really extreme scenarios. An extreme scenario would definitely be like a bank run where people are passing, you know, you know, 10x of the value of the pools through, you know, being burnt into their layer one counterparts. That makes sense, Dan? Yeah, that, that does make sense. And so that's kind of, I guess that's the, the mechanism at play that's kind of, so I guess there's like a 30 minute window then where that, if everyone was redeeming 
Rune USD, that's why the slip base fee would increase so greatly is because it's using that trailing 30 minute data. Is that right? Yeah, it's using that trailing 30 minute data. So like, you know, every block kind of reduces the block, removes block from 300 blocks ago at the block that's currently going on. And so it's like a rolling, you know, 300 block kind of calculation. And so like, if you are, have like some money and you're like, you want to, you want to look at it, you're throwing USD, but the pool is at like very, very you know shallow, then you can just say to yourself, okay, I'll just wait until, you know, the pool, kind of, the dust kind of settles and it's not so crazy right now. And the, and the pool uh, depth goes back to where it typically is. And so like, just by doing that, like you kind of cause people to kind of chill out. Right. Because like, because most times in FUD scenarios, it's just like a panic. It's just not even just like, like objective thinking or, or rationality or, you know, many times like, like that whole, like everybody thought MIM was going to depeg because of the whole thing with um, uh, OX Sifu and, and like, you know, Wonderland and like all this kind of stuff. And it was really just like an irrational thinking of just people just kind of hating on OX Sifu, which you can argue is credible or not. Um, but like, you, just by causing people to just kind of slow down and just kind of veg out and cool down, like you won't have that mass exodus, you know, um, it just is always is extremely less likely to occur to be fair. Right. So that's the, that's the thinking behind it is, is getting people to kind of like, you know, getting to be able to veg out and chill. And, and if, if you want to panic and, and exit now, you can go ahead and do so and just pay higher fees. Everybody has a choice. If they want to leave now, they can, nobody's, nobody's being like, your funds are not being withheld from you in a sense, but but this network in general has always designed it to be moving money from the inpatient to the patient. That's true in swaps today from the very, very beginning. That's how money moves into general markets and the general world. And we've kind of employed that thinking within the design of ThorChain from the ground up, right? And we're kind of employing that thinking here too, within the context of uh, you know, burning derived assets. You know, if you're willing to wait and be patient, you can keep more of your money. If you're willing to, to be panicky and, and, you know, make a massive trade right now, then you can do that, but you'll pay more in fees. Right. And so that's the same thing with swaps. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate the answer there. That's, that's a, it's cool to see that there's kind of like this inbuilt, you know, system that uh, requires you to be patient. And that's a, that's a great point about MIM as well, because yeah, I agree. That was just kind of like a spur of the moment panic that really ended up triggering that. Um, so yeah, thanks for the answer. That's, that's, that's really great. Um, it's really cool to hear uh, that the yeah. algo stable is kind of it, developing in that direction. And most like, you know, bank runs or whatever, it's like they're generally done within a few hours, right? Like most cases and scenarios, like it's not, you don't see bank runs that happen for a week or something like this. <clears throat> like, like I, at least I can't think of an example top of my head. Maybe somebody in the audience does, but <clears throat> most time people are just freaking out. Everybody's panicking. Everybody's tweeting about it. Like there's a whole, you know, thing happening, but you wait, you know, 12 hours, something like this, 20, maybe even 24 hours. And like, everybody's just chilled out by that. And it's not even a big deal anymore. AK coefficient. I can I can hear familiar cow in Keiko efficiency. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I got you. I got you. I didn't. I couldn't hear you guys for a minute. You're good now. Hey guys. Uh, hey Chad. I was just wondering if you all had considered um, partnering or hiring Gauntlet for. Uh, an economic audit for Thor five V one V two, et cetera. 
sounds like you guys are already doing, you know, uh, like Monte Carlo simulations already. Um, I'm happy to take this one. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so so I've met with uh, Oh yeah, can you guys hear me all right? Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, thanks for thanks for raising that because that was exactly where my head went um, uh, a while ago as well. You know, how can we get um, Gauntlet involved in, or or, well, just more. um, yeah, just more uh, kind of, you know, gigabrains kind of thinking about Thorfi and, uh, and helping us to understand the, um, the kind of surface area and, and potential risks. And so, yeah, uh, long story short, I've been chatting with Gauntlet. Um, they're, they have a huge backlog and, um, and they don't do token or like economic design. They, they work more on, or like currently they work more on, um, you know, helping uh, monitor the economic systems of of existing implementations. Um, uh, so, kind of uh, from that conversation, I also have been talking with the block science folks, and that uh, really they, they're also at capacity. So that kind of spurred um, the decision to like uh, start laying the foundation for our you know doing some of the um, economic modeling ourselves um, and. You know where we're at at this point is we are leveraging um, CAD CAD, uh, which is a um, modeling framework that Block Science uh, open sources and uh, or, or develops, and um, so that we can you know put uh, the Thorchain and Thorfi economic system in that context, and then be able to test it in a in a framework that they're familiar with, and then working with them as um, you know advisors. To help us, um, yeah, just gut check the the system that we put in place. Um, so, yeah, long story short, we're, we would love to engage with you know any and all uh, folks that you know want to um, you know help with the simulation and an understanding of the system. Uh, you know, everybody that we've talked to is just you know is just thrashed, and so we just want to like start getting the ball rolling, and then and then you know they can they can hop on when they're uh, when they're not as busy. Excellent. Thank you. Thanks for the, thanks for the rundown. I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I, I was, I heard the same pace that Orion said, instead of getting Gauntlet in there and others, but I think Gauntlet has changed since the last time. Like we used Gauntlet in the earlier days of ThorChain uh, to validate like the, the swap model and slip-based fees and um, all this kind of stuff. And at that time they were just like a different company and like they were, they were doing like, you know, economic evaluations for hire more or less, but today they kind of shift away from that and they really do more like an ongoing relationship where they, you know, constantly monitor the network and, and look for the current conditions and set up maybe monitoring and, and this kind of things to help people understand. Like, and I, I think for, for at least my personal opinion is that I don't really see a whole lot of value in that personally. I just didn't want to see that from a from business perspective, like from a treasury perspective. Um, we want to know whether or not the economic model works or not, and it doesn't really quite matter, what, you know, what happens in the future. We already kind of determining it now, but it made sense for them as, as a business to do that because it's just much more, you know, um, business friendly to have an ongoing relationship rather than just like a one and done um, kind of thing. So. I would love to see them get involved for sure because they're really smart people over there for sure. Um, and I think if we, if Ryan and I and others uh, build out this kind of Python code base that kind of literally builds a working Thor node in Python that you can just like run through all sorts of swaps and ads and loans and you know, you know whatever, 
then we can kind of give this tool to not only to, to Gauntlet or to, or to block science, but just the general community can then can you know, hack on it. And there, there are a lot of people in our audience, uh, in our community that I like, they, they do this themselves already. So empowering them with giving them like a really powerful tool that well, the Thor node code is already written for them. They don't have to worry about the, the math of it all. They can just worry about like the inputs and see what happens on the other side and throw whatever they want to throw at it. That becomes a really powerful tool for the community uh, for us as core devs, but also the community as a whole to utilize and, and just to validate situation A, scenario B, whatever people want to do, just to make sure that we've thought of everything we can thought of. Because maybe I've missed something, right? It's perfectly fine. That's why, that's why we wanted to put out a proposal to the community to get people thinking about it, get more people's eyes and minds thinking on it, and just make sure that myself and other individuals in the core team like haven't really missed some aspect or feature. Uh, and if we did, then great. Let us know, and we'll make an adjustment to account for that and carry on. Yeah, I think yeah, that, I, that'd be very powerful, and 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 it'll and it'll help uh, cut down on the, all the all the chatter in the dev Discord <laughs> in the long run. It'll save you a lot of time. Over yeah, time. I mean, even even to this morning is a perfect example of one of the guys from the community, a guy named Red Alligator posted into the uh, Discord, like, oh, what if like you can manipulate loan um, debt prices, blah, 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 by a you know, single, massive single-sided ads, uh, ASIM ads, and then taking on a loan to man manipulate prices, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And he like gave out like, oh, here's step one, step two, step three, step four. What would happen then? And I literally just like took those numbers and those events that he had written in his thing, I coded it up like those inputs into this code that we have, the store node code on Python, and then executed it and then like look at the result. And it, it turned out that he was right. There was like there actually is a you know a, an, an attack economic attack factor into lend into, into loaning, uh, lending that you know you could do if the if the pool is sufficiently shallow and you're you have enough you know uh, mega whale to be able to do this kind of price manipulation then yeah it would be profitable uh, scenario which case now we're gonna you know and I've already thought of an idea but like a way of actually like addressing that scenario so that you can't do that right even if you have a billion dollars whatever that you won't be able to execute that kind of attack so thanks to him pointing out that that scenario and us being able to use a simulator to confirm it, or deny it either for either way. We can now know what that is. We can make some sort of change to the Thor node code that you know that we believe will fix fix the uh, the event the vector, and then run the simulation again with the, the new code that changes, and then see what the result is. And if the result is you know not profitable, then we fix the problem. Like this is like this is how economics you know should be designed. That's how people should be doing it in other other uh, projects. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, like. What, what Chad just described is, is like my dream come true with all of this, right? Because it, it shouldn't be on the like, oh, trust me, bro, this will work. Um, like we need to yeah, have everything, have everything battle tested and then also make it so um, reduce all of the friction in order to test everything. Yeah, I, I, I'm having flashbacks of BEP swap days early on. I was trying to manipulate the shallow pools for financial gain, of course, but um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, you know. Most of the time, I, I, I was. He's not a black hat, everybody. He's a black hat. This guy's a black hat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, that, that brings up a good point about shallow pools. Like, there's, there's definitely a t an attack vector there, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Just, 
I was just going to say, so, so that folks are, are all on the same page with this. Um, the derived assets are uh, just gas assets. So like BTC, ETH, um, Luna, uh, not um, you know random ERC-20s at this point um, because of the um, pool of depth consideration uh, that could get changed in the future. But I just wanted to point out that that's kind of the current, the current implementation is just leveraging gas assets because the pools are deep. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, have you guys talked about privacy change yet? And that whole debate? Not yet. I'm All right. All right. I'm done. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we could probably talk about privacy change all the time. It's it's not uh, you know the immediate concern. I don't think so. Another time, it will be a good time for that debate. We we can have a, a full featured uh, space. Yeah, one day we'll do one for like Haven once Haven's further developed and tested and all this kind of stuff. Like we get closer to the uh, the launch of Haven, we can we can do like a special space on just Haven. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And I guess the last thing before uh, we wrap up here, any. Uh, Anything you want to say about mainnet? Yeah, uh, mainnet is getting closer and closer, obviously. Um, I feel like so I've said before that some of the team is, you know, wants to go sooner and some of the team wants to go later. And there's kind of debates and uh, arguments within the core devs and nine realms and all this kind of stuff. It seems like everybody is now on the same page, um, and, uh, you know, when they want this to happen. And that is, uh, you know, could be measured in weeks, not months. Um, when that actually happens at this point, then there's no more changes that need to happen to the network itself to, to be mainnet. Like in many respects, it is mainnet now in, in some, some way or form. But I think we wanted to wait for some really positive news that's, that's coming out and kind of have mainnet and that positive news come out at the same time, just kind of, kind of like celebrate each other in a matter of speaking. Um, so I think we're just waiting for that to happen and we're just, which will, I, I'm told it's two to three weeks away. Um, I don't know if that's actually true or not. We'll see. It's not on me to, you know, that's doing that work, blah, 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 but somebody else's. And so I'm told it's like two or three weeks away. And when that happens, I think we'll probably announce that, that big news with mainnet being mainnet and like just bombard the, uh, the community with, with, with good vibes. Yeah, I'd also just add. Yeah, we're all we're all as excited about this as as uh, you know the community, and we really want this uh, yeah to move to to mainnet. But uh, yeah, like Chad's saying, we just want uh, other things to line up uh, all together, and and um, yeah, really celebrate the moment. Yeah, that's going to be a big event, and we we need to make sure that we're prepared to uh, you know we need to make sure that they have spaces that are that are big enough for how big this party is going to be. Yeah, let's order that champagne now. Yeah, we should be we should just be live all day when when mainnet's going live. <laughs> be fun. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome, guys. I mean, we had we got we, we, if you remember from like months ago when we were talking about mainnet, we were waiting for we wanted to see like Doge, we wanted to see Terra launch, we wanted to see the caps removed, we wanted to see you know um, Thor names and like. Blah, blah, blah. Like, and like almost all those things have been delivered, you know, the, like that original list we had with like the team is shipping where right? the team's actually delivering what we say we're going to deliver uh, maybe a, a week or two late or something like this. But, uh, you know, you never know when dev work, some things just get in the way. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've really kind of done a lot of work as a, as a, as a community and as a protocol. And, 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 it's, and you can see that in the uh, updates we're seeing on the network. 
Great, um, I'll invite anyone else that wants to come up for questions. And uh, sorry, Ryan, you can go. But if anyone else has any questions, um, you know, we'll wrap up in like 15 minutes. So I don't look at more questions. Thor names status update. Yes. Uh, it's looking like Thor names is going to be in version 88. So whenever that gets released to mainnet, that's when uh, we'll probably go in. Well, at least the network's going to be launching the, the pre-registered names at version 188 when that comes out, which is, I hope, in the next few days. Um, but then for the actual releasing Thor names in the sense of being able to create new names and that kind of stuff, uh, at this point, it's all been tested. Uh, it's on stage now. Everybody wants to test themselves. You're welcome to. If you find any bugs, let us know. We'll give you a little room bounty. Um, and it's ready to go. And we just got to get it out there and uh, waiting for UIs to catch up. I think uh, ThorSwap has been working on a UI for ThorNames.com or something like this, uh, where you can actually register names and, and, and do all that kind of work. Very soon. Feels like forever ago. This pre-sale uh, actually happened. I think it was last June. It did almost <laughs> almost eleven yeah. months ago now. It was a long time ago. We we built the code for it eleven months ago as well. But then we just got um, distracted with reliability, security changes, you know, this kind of thing, and trying to make sure everything is the, the foundation is strong before trying to throw more kind of fun things on top. I want to know who got Chad Thor. <laughs> I hope it's you. <laughs> I don't think it's me. I, I uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I registered one name. I, I'm not, you know, because I, I, I don't want to use it personally because, like, I don't want to, I don't want to dox my yeah. Thor address. So I wouldn't want to put like, you know, for sure, Chad blah blah, blah and then dox my Thor address because I just don't want to do that. But the feature primarily is like it's for anybody who wants to use uh, affiliate fees because it makes the, the memos a lot smaller, which means that you can do affiliate fees from like Bitcoin to Ethereum with affiliate fees in under 80 bytes. And so it's, it's, that's really the reason that was kind of created. And if you want to create fun vanity names themselves, they can too. Why not? Just, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see who gets it too. <laughs> <laughs> it was taken. I, I remember, yeah, 11 months ago or whatever. That was, I think that was the first one I typed in. Uh, <laughs> it was not available. So. And by the way, if anybody tells you, oh, send Chad asking for donations, send, you know, room donations to, you know, chad.thor or whatever, please don't do that. I am never going to ask for donations or for money from any of you people. So, you know, if anybody tries to create like a fake Thor name that represents me or Orion or anybody else on the team, whatever, that's claiming to send send funds to us or whatever, that's never going to be a real thing. Never do that. Just FYI. Hey, brought up the alchemist. What's up, man? Hi. Hi. Um, so are we going to have one more chain um, added before mainnet or is that is that part of the big surprise on mainnet? No, no, it's not a new chain, something else. Um, the next chain being added is probably going to be Gaia. That's what it's looking at right now, or the uh, Adam coin. Um, also work is being done on the Avalanche side as well. And so we've been talking to the Avalanche people uh, and, and their teams to kind of get on the same page of everything. Um, but uh, that will probably happen. I actually don't know. Man. We could actually see, I don't know if Orion, you know, but I think, I think we'll, we could see Gaia on StageNet like within a week, I think. That was the latest update from Pluto. He said uh, very soon to StageNet. And then, you know, obviously he's got a big StageNet for a while. All right. It looks like the Dash people are also um, 
uh, dash is from from the from the chatter in the in the dash channel on Discord. It looks like it's pretty close as well. Yeah, I haven't looked at the dash one at all. There's a lot of work to be done when you do an inter chain integration. The chain integration itself is just one part. You got to do the smoke test to make sure it all works and it's all tested right on every. PR and every change to make sure we don't accidentally break any particular chain. We got to do XChain.js. We got to do um, some documentation stuff. There's like there's a bunch of work involved with it. I don't know where the Dash community is, how much of that they've done or haven't done, but it's it might be getting close. I haven't I, I, I've been keeping up with it to be honest. The uh, the latest I know on the Dash side is that um, Aerodonis is working closely with them to yeah make sure that that everything's ready to rock and roll there. Um, I'm not sure on the timeline in terms of getting it on StageNet, but uh, yeah, things are things are close. Just um, yeah, making sure that you know everything has uh, has been reviewed in a way that that we're ready to rock and roll to get it onto StageNet. All right. Yeah, thanks, I think what, what one thing we have to change as a community is like the process of which we list a new chain or integrate a new chain, and, and the sense that we want to make sure that, we, that everything's audited, everything's secure. We, we bake it on StageNet for a longer period of time just to make sure there's nothing. Yeah. wonky or bad about it uh, and that kind of stuff so um we want to be more more uh, diligent about our procedures and processes i'm okay with getting it on stage net without uh audits and that kind of stuff because it's just stage net and and there's not much money at risk at all um so but so it's probably best to actually like kind of do both at the same time audit and also community-based uh testing and verification but yeah, uh, more change coming. Of course, I'm excited about that for sure. And then, yeah, once those land on StageNet, we'll we'll um, fire up some Thor games around those as well. Um, so yeah, it, stay tuned on that, and excited to to get that in into the hands of folks. Yeah, and to be clear, there's no uh, no expected chain additions before Mainnet. So Mainnet is the next big. Uh, big event in Thorchain land right now. Sure. Sweet. Anyone else have, want to come up and ask a question? Just want to say uh, thank you to Chad Thoreau and Familiar Cow for uh, doing all these spaces and stuff you guys do within the community, answering questions on Twitter and all stuff you guys do. Super important and uh, helpful uh, to, the, to the larger community. So I uh, just want to call out special thanks to, to our, to our, our co-hosts here. I, they come here every week and do all this stuff. And it's, it's always fun to chat with you guys. And so I appreciate the time and you guys put into it. Yeah, man, we were saying at the beginning that we're really looking forward to, uh, you know, the, the conference in Austin, uh, the Thorchain Expo that's going to be happening down there uh, beginning of June, the same time as Terra Dap Expo and uh, yep. the Decentral Con or uh, Consensus. That's what it is. So yep. uh, I'm planning on being there myself. So anybody wants to come out and say hello and, you know, I'll be there. You're going to be there from the car, I guess. Chat through, are you coming down? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're going to have some live uh, panels there, I'm sure, with, with us. So uh, we're yeah. going to have a good time. Yeah, we're going to be able to do it in person finally. That'd I'll try awesome. to make it out. Yeah, not official yet, but we'll see. It sounds like it sounds like it's going to be awesome. And and also just, yeah, thanks for what you were saying. Like, just throw Chad through and through. So <laughs> it's always, this is always a, this is always a fun highlight of the week. I, I find myself, uh, just more bullish after every single one. So, you know, I, I, I could do this every day. <laughs> I always appreciate your, your time and generosity speaking to the community. I mean, that's that, that we really have you to thank for that. Cause, uh, yeah, we wouldn't be up here, uh, <laughs> if, if we hadn't uh, heard you explain all this stuff first. So, yeah. 
Well, I love doing this stuff, man. I, I, I feel so uh, strongly passionate about what it is that we're doing as a project and as a community. And so like, you know, I'm not shy about it. I, I'm very proud about it. I'm very, you know, and I want to, I want everybody else to kind of hear about it. And, and I, I don't mind dropping some alphas here and there just to get people to understand how mega important it is this work is and how we can reshape the entire industry. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that like just on a personal level, like that's what really excites me listening to you is like, you have a great way of like really framing the importance of this stuff, like in the broader context, like not just being purely in the weeds. Um, and I, I think that really resonates with people, uh, cause it definitely does with me. Yeah. Thanks man. KJ, did you have another question? Yeah, I've, uh, I've got a bit of a crazy thesis. I want to see what you guys think about it. And maybe you've probably already thought about this or talked about it, but I think, um, I think it's super interesting that we're probably all pretty bullish on like the Luna Terra ecosystem and we love to see it integrated into ThorChain. Um, I think we know that there's been a history of maybe algorithmic stable coins not working so much, or at least, you know, maybe not as uh, they haven't really got as pro proliferated as much as they should have until the Luna Terra ecosystem. And we know that there's a lot of VCs backing it to kind of bootstrap the system and keep the ecosystem working uh, until it becomes self-fulfilling. And that's kind of what's happened. I mean, it's unclear how it's going to play out, but obviously I'm super excited about the fact that there's a decentralized stable coin with an interesting minting burning mechanism. And I, I've come to the conclusion that I, I think I have a theory that I'm not, I'm not exactly sure if Luna Terra ecosystem is going to be the, the, the end all be all. I think I, I think that I believe it might be the last one that fails until the Thor chain, um, the Thor USD one. And the reason, reason being is we know that we know that, uh, Luna, Luna Terra ecosystem and like us UST and all that it's working really well. And it's the best we've probably ever seen. Um, but it, if I think I'll, I'll say it another way, Do, Do Kwan, we know that now that it's finally been bootstrapped and we know things like anchor protocol are getting, you know, the 19.5% yield. And that's kind of being funded by VCs is the rumor behind the scenes. Um, we know that Do Kwan, uh, added BTC to the reserves to kind of give the network a little bit more credibility now that it's running and self-fulfilling. They want to kind of say, Hey, look, we're also backed by Bitcoin so they can show that, Hey, look, there's more to it than just the free market deciding that this thing works. Uh, we've also got this backing, but the reason I think that they had to do that is because they know there's a missing element to the ecosystem where they have to actually have a backing of something else to kind of give the credibility and kind of give um, the people confidence in the system that they need so that it keeps running. But I, I believe that that's kind of a, that's kind of a flaw in the system in the way that they know they had to do that in order to give it and give people the confidence that it's going to be around long-term. But the reason why I think that maybe I want it to work and we're all super bullish on it, but I'm starting to think that maybe the Thor USD one is going to be the ultimate example of what needed to happen in the first place. And the Terra UST, uh, Terra Luna ecosystem was the final step to finally getting to what ThorChain has to offer, which is um, a free market-based liquidity-backed um, protocol. So if, if you think that the, the, the people pulling the strings at the Terra Foundation they have to actually add these balances, uh, the reserve balances uh, into the protocol. 
and there's some people pulling the strings. And when you look at the Thorchain ecosystem and the Thorify and stuff, you're actually going to have people voluntarily putting all these different assets in the in the protocol natively. So there's not really somebody pulling the strings to say, go buy Bitcoin, go buy Avalanche, go buy whatever, whatever, that, whatever. It's the whole market itself adding the LTC, BTC, BCH, Luna, etc. So I think that's going to be like the ultimate ecosystem that keeps it all together and keeps it self-filling and running with free market principles and game theory, kind of keeping it all together. And then the Thor USD token, it's going to be backed by the market itself and not somebody saying, hey, we got to implement this because it's a flaw to keep this thing running. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I don't know if I explained myself. It's quite complicated, but I'm kind yeah. of working through these ideas. Well, it, in UST's case, the fact that they back it with, you know, however many billion dollars of Bitcoin it is today, I don't, I don't even know what the latest number is, but uh, effectively what they're really doing in that scenario is two things. One is they're saying uh, we're going to curve hyperinflation of the Luna token just by, you know, people uh, exiting UST directly into uh, Bitcoin, right? Rather than like, um, uh, yeah, anyways, that's the first thing they're doing. And that, the second thing is, uh, I think they do it like at 90 cents on the dollar, 98 cents on the dollar or something like this. Uh, and the second thing they're doing, is they're just trying to give people warm and fuzzy feelings, right? Like all of this stuff is faith-based, right? Bitcoin's faith-based, rooms faith-based, like every, every asset in the world is, is, is all faith-based, in the sense that what gives it its value is just kind of a faith of the, in the sense of the community. And the act of kind of backing it by Bitcoin, which is the most kind of trusted asset in the, in the cryptocurrency space, you're just basically um, giving people more faith in the UST uh, token, and then therefore should cause more demand for the UST token, which is it's a smart thing to do in a, in, a, in, a, in a sense. But I think in our case, um, first of all, I don't have $6 billion. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing even remotely, remotely even close to that. But uh, I think what I think what we're trying to do is use economics as the backing of the system rather than um, some asset like Bitcoin. Using math as my tool rather than you know uh, big deep pockets of the LFG or what have you. Uh, to me, that's a better design because it doesn't rely on individuals to, to take action in, in certain circumstances certain circumstances and we've already seen that happen where like the LG just dumps money into the uh, um, to the curve pools to, to correct prices because they couldn't mint enough UST blah 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 just to keep the peg correct um, and so I, I think I, it's, a, it's a much better design to have something that is just work that relies on mathematics rather than relying on you know individuals with big pockets to, to, to participate um, that's how I feel People welcome to disagree with me. There's pros and cons of both approaches. Um, you're happy to admit that. Uh, but I always just like math. I'm a big math fan. <laughs> Mathematics and free markets as well, for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's a play here too. Yeah, um, another thing I, I wanted to just point out is like, I think, I don't think it's zero sum. I don't think it's like, uh, you know, Thor USD versus, um, you know, USD at all. Uh, I think a very, or, or yeah, I, obviously, I'm biased as a as a um, big store chad, but I think a very defensive thing that um, Terra could do is having an extremely deep um, UST pool on Thorchain, um, you know, in order to uh, kind of provide more, um, yeah, a, a more liquidity, uh, you know, there in the case that you know people need to to swap out. Um, so yeah, I think that there's a there's kind of a 
a middle ground potentially where the use case for Thor, for UST, you know, has its set of set of use cases, but then, you know, Thor, Thor UST or Thor USD is, um, you know, just one of many products uh, kind of in the Thor chain ecosystem. Um, and, you know, they, they, you know, are used for different things and proliferate in different ways. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's like a, could be, it could be a middle path there. Yeah, I totally agree with what uh, Ryan was just saying. Like, uh, Thor UST is not a competitive UST. We're not trying to become new payments and this kind of stuff that UST is trying to do. That's a different goal, a different set of, you know, attributes that is just not in the table and the cards for what, uh, what I want to see ThorChain doing personally. And I, will, and I will say it's like publicly right now is that like you would, Thor USD will not grow to $18 billion that you see on UST. Like it will not, in terms of market cap, it'll be nowhere close to what UST is doing. Like especially in the first year, like you're just not going to see that, that kind of adoption of, of Thor USD. It's just the economics of, of like demand is just not going to be there. And that's perfectly okay. We're not trying to be the biggest the central stable coin in the world, UST is again it's different goals, different purposes. So, in no way do I consider UST to be a, a competitor or a threat to Thor USD, or Thor USD be a competitor or a threat to UST. Hey, wasn't there some some chatter about LFG providing UST liquidity to Thorchain? Did those talks go anywhere? Or I don't. Maybe you can't share that information. I don't know, but. Uh, well, in general, I, I generally try not to share um, specific conversations I've had with specific um, um, uh, institutions or individuals. Uh, I will say, on a more on a more generic perspective, is that like any of these people that we might be talking to that has you know multi billion dollars of capital, they are almost all of them are hesitant to put that kind of capital into Thorchain because it's relatively early for the project. It's still in chaos net. Um, none of them really want to be the biggest LP in any given pool. It just, it just puts on too much exposure than they're willing to take on. So um, as the network becomes more, you know, grows and the room price grows and the L, the TVLs increase and blah, 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 and all these things happen, all those fears and considerations that whether it's the LFG or if it's some, you know, big thing like Coinbase or whatever, like that will naturally kind of fall by the wayside and they'll be willing to kind of contribute more and more liquidity. I've definitely like tweeted out to the LFG publicly and I'm not going to talk about private conversations, but I tweet out to the LFG publicly about like, you know, you don't need to start with $6 billion in the Thorchain pools. You can start with a million, right? Which is not that much money for them and not that much money relative to the pools. And so like, Start small, get get your feet wet, you know. And if you like the experience, you like the yield you're earning, all that kind of stuff, then you know, put a little, put a little bit more on, it and then put a little bit more in, and kind of grow your relationship with with the with the network rather than you know putting all your eggs in one basket kind of mentality. Hey, you brought up Marty. What's up, man? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where to go on this. Um, um I, I think we're definitely two different paths, but I think the original conversation starter you know, just had, you know, many misconceptions about what UST is about. So I just want to drill down on the concept of free markets. Okay. Um, I put money in round A of um, a whole bunch of companies that uh, you'd be familiar with. 
Um, and they were money losers. And uh, government didn't tell me to do that. My mom didn't tell me to do that. The Russians didn't tell me to do that. It was a free market. So I really think that crypto is absolutely a free market, as far as I can tell. So I wouldn't necessarily distinguish, you know, XRP from ADA, from Rune, from UST as being on one side or the other side of the free market. They're all part of the free market. It's just people choose to put different kinds of money in different times into things. But, uh, man, there's just a lot of misconceptions, I think, in that original kind of statement. So I'll just start with free markets, though, and end it there. Yeah, that's totally fair. Like I said, I, I hadn't really thought through the idea. It's just something that popped into my head. Um, the only thing I was trying to highlight is I've noticed the difference between um, I noticed something that on ThorChain that the, 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 the thing that uh, the Luna Foundation did with buying the Bitcoin, which is awesome and fantastic, and it was brilliant. I noticed that it's natively in the ThorFi system on its own with free market principles built into that. So that, that's all I'm saying. It's not a criticism. I want both of them to work and I love both of them and I've invested in both of them. So um, just need to clarify that and explain myself a bit further there. Cool. Anything else? We call it, call it a wrap. I think that's it for today. Yeah, that was a fun one. Uh, especially those, those Thor five parts. Wow. Like I'm going to go back and re-listen. <laughs> that was, that got me super excited. So uh, yeah, anyone that popped in like towards the end, definitely check the recording of this one. Cause there was some, there was some good stuff uh, embedded throughout. Um, you can find the recording like, yeah, just go back to the, where the space was posted or permanently on rune based podcast. But yeah, this is a fun one. Um, thanks everyone for tuning in. Chad, for your time. Familiar Cow for co-hosting. And we'll do it again next week. Oh, and, and Orion, Orion for coming too. Yeah. Don't forget course. Orion. Of course, Orion. Yeah. And, <laughs> Orion. The and for, for uh, Orion helped me help me sleep last night because I was I saw that haul and I was like, oh shit. And then he was he was saving the day in, in the in the Discord. So yeah, huge props to Orion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. It ended up being just like a false positive. Yeah, yeah. We we covered it. We covered it before you, you oh, joined. So yeah, all good. But uh, yeah, at the at the moment, I was like, hmm, is this something? I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, all good. Yep. Cool. All right, guys. All right. See you. Yep. See you next week.